new VanCast to start off a brand new week and a road trip for the Vancouver Canucks. Tom, as they head east to take on the Ottawa Senators and then the Montreal Canadiens, so four games in the next six nights, and they go out with all the confidence in the world, I suppose, in Thatcher Demko. I think we did the Thatcher Demko appreciation pod last week, didn't we? Yeah, I mean, we're just going to keep rolling, though, on that until <laughs> until Thatcher Demko stops, you know, looking like, what, prime? Oh, I sorry, wait. I have a habit of reverse jinxing people, right, on this podcast? So I'm not going to reverse jinx Thatcher Demko. He's playing all right, J-Pat. He's playing all right. <laughs> I'm gonna. That's I'm gonna. Far as- <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna toss a bone. I'm gonna toss a bone to those of like. I assume that most of our listeners aren't the like. We need hope. <laughs> sort of like you know a head in the sand army. Like I, I assume that most of our listeners are a little bit more critical about this team than that. But for those of you who listen and and you know just want to see wins as a distraction, uh, as we sort of near the end of this second wave and, and approach warmer days. I'm going to throw you a bone and not reverse Thatcher Demko by praising him at at too great a length. He's been great, though, and that's unavoidable. Uh, Truly, he is the reason that the Canucks are now, you know, five wins in their last seven in this month of March and and sort of looking at, you know, not not like jump-starting their race to, to the playoffs or anything, but... You know, looking at two games against Ottawa that present a genuine opportunity to at least play a meaningful game at some point this month, if they can continue and sort of extend this streak a little bit here on this current four-game trip. Yeah, they've got six left against the Senators. If they were to sweep the Senators, then they probably need 12 wins of the remaining, uh, I don't know, 17 games or whatever it is. It's still, it's a a ridiculous long shot. (laughs) If they sweep the Senators... Who are, yes. who so, as we record, they, <laughs> no, I'm, um, if they sweep the Senators, they just need to win <laughs> more than, more than what, what, sorry, what was that, 12 of 17? They I think that, to, it's, the math is something like that, they anyways. Should, <laughs> they just need to win 70% of the rest over yes. the other teams. Ouch. Wow. Crazy. But, look, Demko is a story again on Saturday. Uh, they got the Oilers on back-to-backs, but the Oilers certainly didn't look tired in the first period all over the Canucks, and it was... Uh, the heroics of Thatcher Demko that kept it scoreless into the second period. And let's be honest here. And you were in the building. I wasn't. But I've seen the replay enough times. Uh, there's been enough chatter. Like, was that the ugliest goal anybody has ever seen in yeah, hockey history? I think so. I can't think of anything else I've ever seen like it. Um, <laughs> abysmal. Like, that was ugly. That was so ugly. And, you know, there's so many different parts of it that are ugly. Like, there were... S- you know, a couple Oilers defenders, I think it was Ethan Bear, Darnell Nurse, um, you know, there was a forward, I, th- I think it was uh, Griffith, or, right? That was right, Seth, what, what, what's his name? Uh, Arch- anyway. Josh Archibald. Josh Arch- that's what I meant, Josh, Ar- Josh Archibald. Um, but they were, like, down, lying on the goal line, and then they'd, like, get up, and then they'd go down again. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like, they honestly looked like the movements that you see when people are, like, in reverse time in the movie Tenet. Um, like, it was so crazy. To watch, and then there's Brock Besser slowly skating around the net and like pointing out I to the referee that. that it's in. That was amazing. Um, <laughs> I have no idea when it last touched Horvat. You know, like I have no idea if it actually did last touch Horvat or if maybe Tanner Pearson was deprived of his first goal in an awful long time. Um, just weird, just weird. Honestly, it looked like a rugby scrum. Like it looked like Irish football, and just somehow the puck petered into the net. And you know, that's just such a like, the run the Canucks are on, you win games like that. Like, some, you know, I, it's my old rule, right? Seven games, seven seven to ten games a year, you win a game 5-2, and it's off, like, all these crazy rush, rush slap shots or rush wrist shots. Or, you remember that game? Like, here's my example. is Remember the home opener against the Kings last year where Brandon yes. Sutter had three assists and Chris Tanev scored a goal on the rush, like, two feet away from the net? And it's just like all this crazy stuff happens and it's just like, you know, yeah, Jonathan Quick's in net, but also it's just your night. Like, it's just your night. Um, and then sometimes, and, and, and honestly, sometimes sometimes just your night looks like that. And sometimes just your night looks like the Oilers get 12 shots with McDavid and Dreisaitl on the ice in the first 25 minutes. Looks like a power play every time they're out. And then all of a sudden, poof, you know, <laughs> the Canucks score an Irish rugby goal. The, the refs do their best to even it up. Um, the Oilers get their power play goal, but the Canucks managed to win to, behind another 
just outrageously good performance from Thatcher Demko. I know hockey players are conditioned not to close their hand on the puck, and it's a penalty, and in the crease, it's a penalty shot. But honestly, if I'm the Oilers, and and look, they have no way of knowing how that sequence is going to end, but the puck wound up in their net. Like, put your hand on the puck and take your chances. <laughs> take take your chances on a penalty shot. Like we saw the shootout the other night. There was one goal scored. Uh, most shootouts, there's only ever one goal scored. Like. Again, it's happening in real time. Guys aren't thinking that way. But uh, with the benefit of hindsight, I'm thinking, man, if I'm the Oilers, just grab the puck. Like, you have no idea how that thing's going to wind up. But, you know, you're either going to take a penalty or the Canucks are going to score. Ultimately, they did score. And you're right. I wish it was Tanner Pearson because when I think back now in our stake back, like, Horvath got that brutal goal against Mike Smith 20 seconds into the game the last time the Oilers were in town. And then he gets that one that maybe it isn't even his goal. So... I didn't like that goal. And Tanner Pearson... (laughs) No one liked that goal. The hockey gods were, like, mad. Like, I'm worried that the hockey gods will exact revenge on the Canucks for that, like, blight against aesthetics. Um, (laughs) Because that was brutal. I mean, that was just insane. And anybody that listens to these pods knows, like, I scream, like, Tanner Pearson's got three points in 20 games now. And you're like, man, he's just on a a run of bad luck. He was good. Like... He had all sorts of chances that third period, the slap shot from the slot. And unfortunately, you kind of drilled it right at uh, Koskinen. But I thought Tanner Pearson actually had a, a really a decent game for the Canucks. And Tom, like, help me out here because you go deeper on the numbers than I do. But as the Canucks have stabilized things here, and look, they're 7 5 and 2 now in their last 14 games. Like, that's a quarter of the season, and they're two games over 500. This 14 game stretch would put them on sort of a playoff-y kind of pace. But when you go 2-9-2 and two in the month of February, uh, you're climbing out of a, a really deep hole, and we've established that. But I, I just think when the Canucks, and these games haven't been glorious by any means, like the Hockey Hall of Fame's not calling for uh, copies well, of the, 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 the win over they, Montreal the other they night. They should or, mount the goal. They should mount <laughs> the rugby goal. Um, but just I, be like, look, this is what not to do. <laughs> I, I think I think Bo Horvat's had a, a pretty decent run here, and I was on him for where are his assists, and he's got to be better. And I think Horvat's been better, and I think Quinn Hughes has just stabilized things. And maybe it's Hamnick getting back in the lineup. Uh, the Canucks aren't crushing opponents with Quinn Hughes on the ice at even, but he is sort of back to um, you know no blood at either end of the ice at even strength right now, and and his production has slowed a little bit, but he's also not getting bleached in his own zone either. And and those two guys are so important to the Canucks, Horvat and Hughes, but ultimately it's been Thatcher Demko, right? Like we can slice the numbers any way we want. Thatcher Demko has given up 15 even strength goals in his last 11 starts. He's given them 950 goaltending at evens in his last 11 starts. Like it's crazy. Yeah. Well, and, and I mean, so there's a lot to unpack here, but I want to begin with your comment about Pearson having a good game. Because I thought about this even in real time. As much as I didn't like Vancouver's game against Edmonton on Saturday night, the last 250, or sorry, I guess it's 150 seconds, the last two and a half minutes, which sort of begin with the Canucks taking power play, ends with the empty net. Uh, but it's Tanner Pearson, it's Alex Edler, it's Brandon Sutter. Brandon Sutter's had a rough ride on this podcast uh, over the past 10 days, so I did want to spotlight his contributions as well. That defensive effort late was really, really good. Like, that was a gutty win. That was that was like a gutty defensive stop from the Canucks. A bend-but-don't-break goal line stand with two of the best players in the world quarterbacking things and generating all manner of disruption and, and quality chances. And, and they deserve a lot of credit for that. Like, that was good defensive, close-out-the-game, professional hockey. And I like that. Like, at the end of the day... If that was the best part of Saturday night's game for me, aside from the early Dreisaitl McDavid show before they kind of ran out of gas in the last 40 minutes of the game. Um, That said, you know, the Canucks had one of the worst months in franchise history in February. And here I was throughout the entire month just kind of screaming like, hey, I think they've been fine. Like, I actually think their game is stabilized this month. It didn't show because they had 888 goaltending in the month of February. And since the calendar's flipped to the month month of March, as you said, 951, 950 goaltending over their yeah. past 7 games. 
uh, yeah, you're going to win some games with 950 goaltending at five on five. Like, my goodness. And yet, as I check the underlying numbers, uh, you know, less than a 43% share of shot attempts. They've been outshot by 51 at five on five, J-Pat, over the last seven games. 51. They've been outscored by two goals with 950 goaltending. How do you even do that? And And their control of expected goals is sub 40%, 39% over their last seven games. Like, you know, it's crazy because the Canucks deserved so much better in the month of February. And now they're winning games. And, and you know, it looks like people are saying like, oh, you know, things are coming together for this team. And it's like, not really. Like, this is not the February. They have not been winning games with the type of stable control that we saw in February. Like, this is something different entirely. This is a team with an increasingly battered bottom six hanging on for dear life while Demko puts on an absolute world-beating show in the crease. And, you know, I think that's disguising the fact that actually what we saw in February, the Canucks' game stabilizing, has departed again. Um, you know, and, and then in saying that, there have been a few bright spots. You know, you mentioned Hughes Hamannick. That's definitely one of them. That pair has been really good over the last since since Hamannick came back, frankly. Um, I think JT Miller's played really well at center. Uh, I think you're right that Horvat, like the top six is playing well. The power plays also come to life. Like they have, they have seven power play goals, J-Pat, in their last seven games. Like that's a little bit more like what we expected from this team, right? Like that's this Canucks MO. You need, you need good goaltending. You need your power play working. You don't need a lot at five on five. You just need to not be giving up four or five goals a game. Um, they have a high floor in terms of how they can play five on five, but even then they're playing well beneath that. Like they are well beneath the floorboards, right in the dirt under the house in terms of their five on five game at the moment. Um, perhaps that's to be expected with all the losses they've had injury wise and especially their best play driver in Elias Pettersson. But man, like this, it, you know, I don't care if Thatcher Demko is the second coming of Dominic Hasek. If you're, sub 40% control of expected goals over a sample that's, you know, 350 plus minutes now in the month of March, like that's going to come back to bite you at some point. And, you know, for the overall outlook of the Vancouver hockey fan, I I, I hope that's not against Ottawa. <laughs> They're 4-1 and one without Elias Pettersson, which is just crazy. Like, honestly, if you told me when he left the lineup that they were going to win a four of five, now, we've seen how they've done it, and we've established it here, that it's really, it's been on the back of number 35, and he's been that good, and he got the entire homestand, he got all five starts, so people were like, you know, run, it's time to run with Demko, well, they've done just that. I'll be curious to see how the road trip goes here, uh, you know, across country flight, and then two games against the Senators, and then they go back-to-back in Montreal, and they're going to split the two. It's four and six, with some travel here, at least at the outset, with time zones and everything else, like... You know, we talked with Kevin Woodley last week, and, and Kevin said, like, there isn't a number that you say, all right, like, enough is enough for Demko, and you've got to go to Holtby. I do wonder if we're at that point, though, uh, as good as Demko has been, he'll certainly get two of the four games on this trip. I guess the question is, does he get three? Because they will split the games in Montreal. I just wonder, it's the Ottawa Senators, uh, you know, they look terrible in Edmonton, uh, or there's just skated circles around them. Like if Braden Holpe can't deliver a performance against the worst team in the division and one of the worst in the league, you know, where does it go from here for Holpe? But I just wonder with five straight starts as well as he's played carrying the hockey club, like does Demko get both games in Ottawa and one of the games in Montreal, or do you think it's a two, two split for the goalies in these four games out on the road? Ride Demko. You have to ride Demko. And you know, I I do think like if you're trying to make the playoffs, you got to consider going, Demko on Monday and then giving him the whole week off until the Montreal back-to-back and playing him both because the like the logic of the Canucks making the playoffs doesn't just require them they're not going to play to the 125 point pace they need to get to 66 points like they need to lower the playoff bar and the only way to lower the playoff bar is to get regulation wins against some of the teams you expect to finish in the top four Uh, that means Calgary that means Edmonton that means Winnipeg that means Montreal right like those are the teams that the Canucks need to take regulation wins off of. Um, so I get that logic. Like, I do get that logic. But playing back-to-back is real tough. And 
Demko's not really done it at the NHL level. I, I doubt he's done it a ton at the college level. He definitely has done it at the AHL level. Um, you know, I wonder if we'll see them consider that, uh, especially in the event. Like, if you win Monday, right? If you win on Monday against the Senators, then you're looking at, you know, you've won six, six of your last nine, right? Or six of eight, right? So you have yeah. a chance to go eight and ten. Um, you know, why wouldn't you go Holpe against Ottawa, right? Give Demko as many days as you can and then have the drip ready for him post game. And if you win that game against Montreal in regulation, especially, but if you win that first leg of the back to back against Montreal, maybe you get greedy and go Demko again, but sort of just wait, like you don't have to make that decision until you have to make that decision. Like you can make it the morning of when Demko wakes up like, Oh, I'm sore. Okay. You're not starting. Right. But I wonder if you consider going that way and sort of just, you know, like I call it fighting fires, but it's like being minute to minute until you make that decision and and take your best shot. I'd only do it, though, in the event that, you know, I've taken both from Ottawa and I've taken the first from Montreal in a regulation win. Then I think I go Demko in the back to back. That would be how I'd play it. I'm very curious to see how the Canucks will. Yeah, and we saw as recently as the last back-to-back at the start of the month in Winnipeg, they split the two. That's the last time we've seen Braden Holtby. Uh, just keep in mind that it's not four and six out on the road, but it's five and seven. They play in Montreal on Saturday and at home to Winnipeg next Monday night. So, uh, and, you know, that, that for, is, yeah, like that's, again, the that's schedule, schedule hasn't loss. done... A, the schedule hasn't done the Canucks a ton of favors. They come off the road trip. They've got the two against Winnipeg. Then they get that week off that we've been talking about. We're getting closer to that week off where everybody around them is going to catch up. And by the end of the month, we'll have a much better and truer read on this playoff race in the North Division. Whether you think the Canucks are in it or not, we'll just have a better read on where the division stacks up because everybody will be uh, you know, within a game or two at the very least, but teams won't have five games in hand uh, the way some of them do and have here uh, really, you know, since the second week of the season when the Canucks got way out in front of everybody else. You know what, though? It's a five and seven, two for Winnipeg. Less travel, but they're on a five and seven there, too. That's going to be a really weird game. That Monday game in Vancouver, Canucks versus Winnipeg, that's going to be that's going to be like um like a game seven almost in terms of the attrition level that I'd expect to see from both teams. Like that's going to be a tough one. I'd expect for, for the Jets and the Canucks Um, that might be a dog of a game. Like that might be one to, (laughs) if if you've been, if you've been considering like doing a date night or something and missing a Canucks game, like that might be one to consider. I I wonder what the form is going to be like. That's going to be like a a pandemic season special with two really tired teams. Um, You know, like like two tired puppies just like lying on the ground still gnawing at each other's faces like that's what i'd expect from that 22nd game winnipeg in vancouver all right tom we've got scoops back on the program uh, it's been a few weeks since we've had rick dollywell join us here on the vancast but uh he's got some things that uh he wants to get out there and we wanted to get him back uh on the cast here so uh, dolly thanks for doing this how are you always a pleasure to talk to two of my favorite people on this earth <laughs> sorry sorry Are, do you think you're recording with jp barry and pat brisson jp barry and pat brisson are two guys we need on the show <laughs> hey ricky tom and i started the podcast just again talking about the heroics of thatcher demko he's become the story here uh, giving them 950 goaltending right now. Like, it's just absolute lights out. Uh, doesn't give up an even strength goal last night. Didn't give up an even strength goal in the 2-1 shootout win the other night against the Montreal Canadiens. Like, almost unbeatable at even strength. So much attention in this market on Hughes and Patterson, and we can talk about them and their contracts. But man, the meter uh, clearly is running for Thatcher Demko, another guy on an expiring deal here. Oh boy, uh, Jeff. A couple of weeks ago, I said to myself, I said, hey, you know, Patterson." Uh, and Quinn Hughes, they're obviously going to get huge, uh, you know, salary increases. But man, oh man, the way Demko's going, uh, no contracts talks yet. He's an RFA with arbitration rights, two years from being a UFA. He's making a million dollars. Let's be honest, he's the rate he's going is in uh, for a healthy raise. Uh, boy, I, I just think this guy's putting himself in a really good position and a position. Um, let's also remember he's got arbitration rights and, and Thomas and I were talking about this an hour ago. Keep this in mind, guys. 
players that have elected to go to salary arb cannot be given an offer sheet, though there's a few days to get one if they want, if they wait to the deadline to file. So Demko has a very short window to get an offer sheet. Um, it's only going to be like a few days. But right now, I look around the league, Thomas and Jeff, and I, I see four or five teams right now out there uh, looking uh, for a number one goaltender. So it's a risk that Canucks are going to have to take if they don't do a deal quick with Demko and it goes to arbitration. There's going to be that small window uh, for Demko to get an offer sheet. It's only a few days, but hey, you can work magic in a few days. That's the risk involved. Let, let me jump in here quick for a history okay. lesson. So there's there t- tends to be a little bit of a, an offer sheet window if you wait to the deadline for, for arbitration-eligible yeah. players. Only one player since the salary cap was instituted has been offer sheeted under these conditions. That player was offer sheeted by the Vancouver Canucks. His name is David Backus back yeah. in the uh, first Mike Gillis offseason. However, this window was a concern and did play a factor with another uh, Boston <laughs> product, like a Boston University product, uh, who played goal for the Vancouver Canucks, and it was a factor in the timing of the Corey Schneider extension way back right. in, what, 2013, when the Canucks right. managed to get him done at, I think it was three times four for a $12 million total contract. Uh, part of the reason that was a big win for the club was that as they were bogged down in that endless Roberto Luongo trade talks and speculation, um, getting Demko done or getting Schneider done before that window saved them certainly a couple of sleepless nights and a fair bit of risk. So definitely a factor to watch for uh, and certainly an interesting one because we we've thought about, you know, well, Quinn Hughes isn't subject to an offer sheet, for example, which is, which does mitigate Vancouver's risk in another season in which, you know, the cap tends to be crunchy or, or could be crunchy for them as they work through this offseason, the the Demko factor is a very interesting one because certainly if he keeps this up, he's going to be a very attractive property. It's a risky thing for the Canucks. It's a short window uh, for an offer sheet for Demko, but they got to be concerned about that, no question about it. Hey, look, you guys, you'd love to get Demko on a long-term deal, but he's going to run into the same problems as Patterson and Hughes. It's a flat cap for three more years. They got still a lot of bad contracts to get off the books. Demko may have to settle for that two, three, four-year deal. We'll have to wait. One major issue with this contract could be the optics of Brayton Holpe's contract. Going to be tough for the Canucks to pay Demko less than Holpe's $4.3 million. And remember this, I don't see Seattle taking Holpe in the expansion draft, so he's most likely going to be on the books for the Canucks next year. And the optics of Demko making less, very interesting. Thomas, we talked about comparables. Tristan Jerry always pops up. He's also 25, makes 3.5 million. He's played 81 games. Demko's played 57. Now, the optics and the goalposts can change on comparables as we get into the final half of the season. If he keeps playing great, you know this, guys. The comparables could shift. It could be shifting over $4 million. You look at Mikko Koskinen, 4.5 mil. He's only played 115 games. One agent told me today the Canucks are going to have to manage the cap for the next three years and then hope the cap goes up from that 80.15 because the 81.5 is really hurting a lot of teams right now. And and let me just quickly clarify one thing because I did go to the transition rules just to make sure that you know my grounding was right. Like I know the rules usually. Uh, but everything's obviously moved around this year. July 28th is when the RFA-UFA signing period begins. That's 9 a.m. local time. And on August 1st is the deadline for player-elected salary arbitration. Right. So that is the window. From the 28th to the 1st, that is the window that we are discussing. It's moved this year. Usually it's July 1 through July 3 or 4. And just so I can make note here in my own calendar, which is the date that you and Rick start fighting over the amount that Demko is going to I, get paid? I we actually already not. did it in private. We already did it in private. Hey, hey, <laughs> well, that's no fun. Nobody wants the I private fight. On the Markstrom contract, he, he lost big time. And Demko <laughs> uh, is going to be anywhere from 3.5 to 4.5, uh, somewhere in that range. But you know what? How about if, look, how about if he's named the MVP of this team? At the end of the year, how about if like he keeps uh, going on this incredible run, Jeff, that he's on? Like I, I can only imagine. And the Canucks, you know, they got cap issues, all this. 
But you know what? This guy's putting himself in a great spot if he keeps playing like the way he is right now. I also want to note that while I concede defeat on my Markstrom contract analysis, my analysis was spot on, was spot uh, on, and I didn't uh, lose to Rick. I lost to Pat Morris. I just want to note that. Hey, but he signed for the numbers I told you he was going to sign for, and you didn't believe it. I, I still can't believe it. I'm going to be honest with you. I still can't believe he got six times six in a bulletproof uh, NMC with a late signing bonus structure in the middle of a pandemic. That's a Mona got- Lisa for Newport. They like you walk into Newport now. It's just a frame framed Markstrom contract right in the <laughs> right in the opening awning. It's ridiculous. <laughs> truly, truly exceptional work from Morris and Co. Hey guys, uh, before we get to uh, Pedersen and Hughes and Tanner Pearson and Nikita Trampkin, I, I can I give you a Travis Green contract update? Yeah, of course. <laughs> Rick interviews himself. This is the new. This is the new Van Gask <laughs> format. No, no. I was, try- I, was hey, I was trying to duplicate silence. Nothing. Crickets. Nothing's going on. Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. Uh, I still believe uh, in my heart. Travis Green uh, wants to return to Vancouver. This guy's a BC boy, guys. You guys know that better than anyone else. He wants to be back, but we have. Uh, we have a COVID world where the owner of this hockey club uh, has got no revenue this year and he's doing things a little bit different. I get that aspect of it. I, I understand the COVID is costing. You know, we, we talked about the goalie coach. We're talking about Travis. We're talking about uh, it's a COVID world. There's no, but I I, I, I just, I, I cannot say enough. Uh, it's a tough spot. They have put Travis in uh, to be a lame duck coach in the Canadian market on a team where he lost 35% of his guys after the bubble. So it's a tough uh, spot for him, but uh, maybe they get it done after the season. But right now, crickets. 25 games to go, so the clock certainly is ticking towards the end of the season. What about Hughes and Pedersen? We heard Jim say at his uh, Friday Zoom there a week and a half ago uh, that he would wait until the deadline and then start to make some inquiries. Uh, Has there been some movement on Pedersen and Hughes? No, but what I've done is, uh, Jeff, in the past week, I've talked to a lot of agents and just kind of getting the feel around uh, the hockey world on what these two outstanding young players could possibly ask for in a new contract with the Vancouver Canucks. Most agents think uh, Pedersen and Hughes can get 8 to $10 million a year, but that's not a long-term deal. But you got the flat cap, the COVID, no revenue, uh, so, you know what? Maybe it's a three- or four-year deal. It, it's going to be tough to do long-term. But Rick, no, don't bring up the four-year deal, Rick. <laughs> Rick! Well, a but a four for uh, – I'm going to keep bringing it up. Uh, no. Like it Stop. Or not. It's, it's an option. Is it not an option? No. It's an option. No chance. And I know. I no know chance. But if the player says – that you can't give me long-term big money, then maybe there's going to be a concession that's got to be made. Who knows? I'm just saying, okay, let's say this. If they can't do a long-term deal, which it looks like they can't, maybe you do three years. But this negotiation, Jeff, will be all about the term, then the money. The term's going to drive it. No question. The flat cap cap is probably going to lower the term for the RFAs. Most likely, on a three-year deal, agents think Pedersen can get seven to eight million Hughes, six to seven million on those shorter deals. And you look at Matthew Barzell, who I think is one of the most exciting young players in the National Hockey League, three times seven. You know, and when you look at Barzell and Pedersen, there is not a whole lot of difference between the two. They're very, very good dynamic young players. So it, it, to, to me, most agents think, Jeff, it's going to be a shorter term deal for both those guys. Rick, with... How much impact do you think the logic of this new TV deal? Now, granted, we've only yeah. seen half of it, right? We've seen yeah. uh, 420 ish. Uh, half of the US television rights deal has been sold off to ESPN. It's really a digital deal. There's only 25 regular season games airing on TV. Like, it's actually a crummy deal from a TV perspective, but everyone expects that whether it's NBC, most likely, or Fox, uh, sort of the shark in the 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 snake in the grass that that may also be there. Yeah. That that deal will help address it. That there will be more uh, of a television side deal when the second half drops. But the way it's trending, like you know, Bettman could get close to the billion ish for per year annually for US TV revenue or US TV rights deal that he told owners he would before the pandemic. 
a, a, a stellar sort of bit of, um, you know, p- pulling defeat from or pulling victory from the jaws of defeat for the commissioner. But, you know, if, if we're talking about a billion in US TV rights, like we're talking about upward pressure on the cap that could be in the, you know, or order of six to seven, maybe eight million dollars a year when we're on the other side of this, you know, multi-year COVID gully. Yeah. Um, will that impact? Like for me, I look at that and I think, why, if I'm Quinn Hughes, right? Why would I be signing a long-term deal now right. when, you know, as soon as as soon as my a three-year deal is up potentially, um, you know, I might be looking at a $90 million, $92 million cap yeah. right away that I can cash in on, you know, at, at a level that's hitherto, you know, never even been imagined. Like what's a $13 million defender um, look like in the NHL? Because we could see that with the cap escalating you know, to the extent that I now anticipate it will on the other side of this escrow gully and with the U.S. TV rights deal beginning to kick in. That's a great point. And you make all great points there. And all you got to do is look at Barzell. I mean, you, you got to know at some point they probably talked about a long-term deal, but they couldn't do it. You look at Svechnikov in Carolina, he's probably going to have to do a three-year deal as well. And then, you know, why not the Vancouver guys? You know, Patterson, Hughes, and Demko. Uh, if, if, you, if you told all three of them, that you're going to get a good wage on a three-year deal, I think they would do it. And I think that, it, it, look, we got an owner in Vancouver that's got no revenue coming, guys. He's got no revenue from ticket sales. He's obviously probably not selling a whole lot of jerseys. He's not doing a whole lot of stuff. And, and the TV contract is going to help. But the agents still think that the flat cap for three years is going to hurt. But if you come out of this in three years, you got the new TV deal, the cap goes up, and it's win-win, uh, Thomas, for everybody after three years. Rick, but- I got another question for you real quick on the yeah. subject of Hughes, right? Because you say six to seven, but a lot of people will point to, like, the Zach Wierenski comp, right, which is three yeah. times five in Columbus, or the or the Sergeyev comp in Tampa Bay, or yeah. the McAvoy comp, which is four nine times three in yeah. Boston, and say, you know, where where's Quinn getting the extra – Two million from and and one thing that I think people ignore like Tampa exists in their own world Boston kind of exists in their own internal cap world too yeah uh, with Columbus though like the Wierenski comp looks favorable yeah but the thing is is that it's widely believed that Wierenski signed a, a bridge or opted for a bridge in part because you know he wants to leave his options open right yeah. with with uh, and this is always going to be a factor with any you know American born player in a Canadian market like on, on some level. You don't want those sorts of thoughts to enter a player like Quinn Hughes's head if you're the Canucks, right? Like you want to yeah. take care of him. Is yeah. is that what explains the gap in industry opinion, or is there something else I'm missing? I think uh, I think Jeff had a, a tweet a week ago. Uh, a Quinn Hughes seventy odd points in his first hundred games. Like the, the numbers he's putting up offensively, guys, is crazy for a young defenseman. Let's be honest. He's a power play specialist. He gets a ton of points on the power play, and and you know what? He's always in the deep in the offensive zone, creating offense. He's so good. I know he's got to work on his. And I'm sure the Canucks are going to bring up. You know the plus minus are going to work. Uh, they're going to bring up the back you know in his own end he struggles sometimes but when is the last time and Jeff when is the last time this city had a offensive dynamo like Quinn Hughes and just putting up points at the clip he is I've never seen it before and not in this market this kid's a special offensive talent and I think those points per game and and when you talk about kids coming out of entry-level deals Thomas you know points per game and points per goal a game are huge and this kid has got phenomenal offensive numbers. Uh, the kid's going to get paid uh, either way. He's going to he's going to do fine on his next deal. Next deal, but you nailed it, Thomas. If he does three years and he comes out of this three year deal, he's looking at real big bucks if he keeps producing at the rate he is. Rick, we're inside a month from the trade deadline now. Tanner Pearson's name continues to circulate. Uh, are the two like Jim has made this? Publicly, at least, he stated that he intends to try to re-sign Tanner Pearson, even though there are howls from sort of every corner of Canucks fandom that, you know, that's the wrong thing to do with a guy who, you know, obviously hasn't had a great season statistically, foot speed, not one of his strong suits in a league that's getting faster by the year. And I think people worry that, uh, you know, the Canucks already have cap issues and now they're looking at, you know, re-signing a guy that, 
you know, who knows where his career goes from here. Like he's been a good fit, uh, but I, I think I share the concerns of a lot of people that, you know, the speed of the game looks like it's caught up to Tanner Pearson now. Uh, where do the two sides stand? Has there been dialogue between the Canucks and, and Tanner Pearson's camp? So as of this morning, no Canuck offer. No Canucks have not made an offer, but and Thomas will get into it at a later, later date uh, in the show, but it, it, that's going to change. And, and, and I fully expect the Canucks to get to his agent um, as soon, but no offer's been made yet, Jeff. And with Pedersen, Hughes, and Demko getting new contracts, I can't see how the Canucks can make Pearson and offer anywhere close to the $3.7 million he's making now, I'm going to guess that they probably the best they could do is $2 million or $2.5. Pearson is well-respected by the coaching staff and his teammates. The desire to keep this guy, Jeff, is real. Like, everybody in the organization likes this guy. They want to keep him, but it's easier said than done. Every single penny is going to count when it comes to Pedersen, Hughes, and Demko. This may end up being uh, the Canucks trading him. But if they think they've got a legit shot at the playoffs still, and Travis Green's a coach right now, you know, dying to get in the uh, playoffs uh, for a lot of various reasons, and he's, you know, he's going with the veteran lineup. Look at his third pair of defense, and only Ulevi can't get in. Maybe he stays if somehow that close to the deadline they think they got a shot. But Tanner Pearson, I just don't see how they can make him a competitive offer, Jeff and Thomas. I, can, I, I don't see how they can do it. It's going to be really tight. I've sort of modeled it out a little bit and, you know, sort of the the way I'm looking at it is, and you can carve out more space, obviously, if you can buy a guy out or if you can make a trade or, or what have you. But, you know, I, I sort of look at it as you have somewhere between seven to 11 million, depending on where what, what you can carve out and where you end up with Pedersen Hughes and Demko uh, to sort of play with in filling out, you know, Honestly, though, like with that money, you, you know, you only have Schmidt, Myers and and Hughes, who's the RFA signed on your defense core. Like you need so much more help back there. And, you know, this is with a bottom six that includes McEwen, Mott, Beagle, Roussel, Erickson. Like it's not good enough. Like you need to be able to reconstruct your bottom six. You need to be able to reconstruct your defense and and you need probably another top six forward. Because in because this math hasn't factored in Pearson yet, so I mean that that you have the money that if Pearson would accept you know something like three, uh, maybe a little higher, you could do it. But boy, are things going to be tight, um, and they're going to be tight no matter how you slice it. But that's a that's a really weird way to allocate money. As for as for Pearson talks, I expect the sides are going to you know get into the weeds a little bit with negotiations this upcoming week. I think we're nearing. Not not brass tacks, but nearing where things are going to heat up on this front. Um, I expect them to begin to heat up this week. Yeah, uh, nothing yet. No offers been made as of this morning. But you are correct, uh, Thomas. I think uh, they get to his agent next week and start talking and negotiating and getting going and see if they can do a deal. But Jeff, you make a lot of good points. But th- there's there, there's points about this guy's a good pro on and off the ice. He's very coachable. Uh, he does the little things that Travis likes. And, you know, Travis Green is a big, big Tanner Pearson um, uh, a fan, big fan of his. No question in my mind. And that's fine. Like, I, I, look, I, I, I get, I, I respect Tanner Pearson as an absolute professional, like low maintenance. He's got the Stanley Cup pedigree. But this is the issue with guys around the age of 30 and the Canucks have gone all in on these free agents. I don't have to remind our listeners uh, this is the problem. Like, we're all counting down the days until the Canucks get out from under some of these contracts. This one has the potential to be another one of those contracts. They have to decide what Tanner Pearson is. He's got nine points in 31 games, and there hasn't been any chemistry with Bo Horvat. So Travis Green can like his professionalism and the fact he's low-maintenance, but ultimately he's being paid to get out there, and the way they're using him as a top-six player, he has not produced anywhere close to a top-six winger for the Vancouver Canucks this season. And I think the concern is that he's already started the decline here. So they have to figure out whether this is just an off year for him, whether he's just been really unlucky, or, you know, if there is more for Tanner Pearson to give. Because if there's more there, uh, you'd like to see it sooner rather than later. Jeff, who who replaces him if, if he gets traded? 
I hear you, Rick. I mean, that's that's the issue, but that comes back to what Tom was saying. I mean, we know that there isn't anybody below uh, working their way up the lineup, and we saw that on Saturday night where a couple of injuries, and even a guy like Zach McEwen, like at the trade deadline last year, Jim Benning said he's an everyday NHLer, and yet when Travis Green has had options, Zach McEwen hasn't been able to get in the lineup and has barely played for the Vancouver Canucks this season. So, you know, I'm not sure that you can count on Zach McEwen here moving forward. There's another player that there are all sorts of questions about him, you know, moving forward, and it just speaks to the depth of the organization. Plus, keep this in mind, you know, I think a lot of people thought, oh, Braden Holpe's the guy that Seattle's going to claim in expansion. Well, if they don't go there, the Canucks are losing somebody, right? Yeah. Seattle's claiming somebody off the Canucks roster. Yeah. And again, we speak of the fact they don't have a ton of depth, and yet they could lose a player like Cole Lind uh, if he's not protected by the Vancouver Canucks. So again, that's going to factor into what happens here. And we've spoken at length on this podcast about how the Canucks should be proactive and try and find teams that you know are going to have protection issues and pounce on those. And yet, again, if they're looking at locking up a guy like Tanner Pearson... Um, you know, instead of maybe making a move, get an asset in return that then you could use uh, to go and attack one of these teams that's going to have protection issues. Uh, you know, uh, let's see. There's still three weeks to go before the trade deadline, but uh, really curious to see how all of this plays out. And it also leads us into, you know, when we talk about reshaping the defense core, Rick, you have been following the exploits of Nikita Trampkin for years. Uh, here in Vancouver, back to Russia, the name kicked around. We know last year there was some interest, uh, but again, COVID struck and there was, you know, no wriggle room whatsoever. We've talked about the fact that the Canucks wouldn't do one-year deals or one-way deals uh, with a guy like Trampkin. Where do the Canucks stand as far as interest is concerned in the big Russian defenseman? Yeah, so his season is over. He can start talking contract with the Canucks May 1st for next year. He's in the final year of his deal. I talked to his agent, Todd Diamond, today. Todd said he expects to talk with the Canucks in the next two to four weeks about Nikita. I get the feeling every time I talk to Todd, Triampkin wants to sign in Vancouver. He wants to come back. He had a good season under Bill Peters in Russia. And like I said, he's got one year. Hey, here's the big thing for me. If Ben and Hamannick don't return, you certainly can see uh, Triampkin jumping into one of those two spots. But we don't know what's going to happen with Alexander Adler, guys. We don't know. Edler is, you know, he, he's a wild card to me because the, I, I think he would love to finish his career in Vancouver. Whether that happens or not, guys, I don't know. But this could be a very look uh, different looking uh, team next year. I know the last time they talked to Alexander Ender about a contract, they did talk the two sides about, you know, it would be cool and neat if uh, Alex finished his career in Vancouver. He's been such a warrior and he's and and, and Jeff, he's been here so long. He's been a great draft pick. And every coach that ever has coached Alexander Edler, all they ever do is play the hell out of him. Um, you know, I, and I know you talk about the games getting fast and, you know, sometimes he gets caught flat footed. You know, his speed isn't what it used to be. But you know what? It could be a different looking D next year, guys. So is Ben back, Hamannick back, Edler back? If those guys are back, then you can obviously see them saying to Nikita Triampkin, let's go. Let's sign a deal. Edler played the final three minutes and 12 seconds on Saturday night, including the full two-minute penalty kill with Tanner Pearson in the penalty box. So you're right. I mean, there are some flaws in his game. Too many penalties. He took the cross-check uh, on dry saddle to put the Canucks two-man down. But uh, Travis Green still leans on him in situations. And one of those situations was the final three minutes and 12 seconds uh, on Saturday to preserve the victory. That's it. And so what do you do with Alexander Edler? Like, what do you do with him? Like, if you do a new deal with him, what's that look like? You know, um, is if, if Travis is here next year, you know he's still, still going to lean on him. He absolutely loves Alexander Edler. Rick, I got a, I got one more for you. And you brought up Cole Lind, and I think this is an interesting one. Because yeah. now, now, now you're, uh, you're going to have to follow me a little bit down this rabbit hole. Okay. So we saw we saw this weekend what happened when you lose three forwards in a game and how crunchy it gets to dress a full lineup, right? Now, oh, yeah. now the Canucks are poised to potentially be sellers at the deadline, depending, uh, I guess, on how things ha go between now and then. But, I mean, they should already be there, personally. Yeah, that's my view. So on the 2nd or 1st of April, probably April 2nd, they will fly to Edmonton. They play Edmonton on the third, the Jets on the fourth and the sixth, 
the Flames on the 8th and the 10th, and they're back in Edmonton on the day of the trade deadline. They don't return to Vancouver probably until the night of the 14th. So if you're going to be a player who is a depth guy, who's added to the taxi squad and who's with the team and capable of dressing in the event that the Canucks sold multiple pieces on the day of the trade deadline, like on the 12th and on the 14th, you have to be called up to Vancouver on Tuesday of this week, tomorrow. Wow. Tomorrow, the Canucks need to make some call-ups if they have any intent of selling wholesale at the trade deadline. Are you hearing anything? No, I have not heard anything on that front uh, at all. But that's a great point that, you know what? Uh, the trade deadline is now, what, le- about three, three and a half weeks away. And if you want some guys up and you, some bodies are moving out of town, then a lot of stuff's got to happen this year uh, before uh, the trade deadline, two weeks before. And that's a great point. And, Thomas, I have not heard anything. I just know that Cole Lynn and Gadjevich are off to great starts. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, this Gadjevich guy, guys, a lot of people, and, and Jeff, we've talked about him in the past, a lot of people yep. were writing him off. You know, he's too slow yep. and foot speed issues. And he, he would, and, but I heard his exit interview with the Canucks was really good. And then he goes down. He's got eight, nine goals. He's, well, last weekend he was tied for the a lead for American Hockey League in goals. What a great story. What a guy, you know, you talk about power forwards and size and, you know, getting to the net and uh, having the odd scrap. Well, Jonah Gadjevich, if he could ever figure it out and bring it to the pro level, the Canucks would have, are really, really nice uh, a draft pick there. Um, I, and also, I'm going to tell you that, uh, you know, Pod Colson's coming down at some point, And you know, you guys know the Canucks will do everything in their power to get him in the lineup, just like they did with Hall- Hoglander. But uh, Gadjevich and Lind, they could be important pieces down the road, you know. And uh, hey, guys, uh, you guys had Woodley on talking about Di Pietro. Uh, I did get to Di Pietro's agent yesterday. Uh, uh, Darren Ferris had a talk with him about, hey, are you concerned that Di Pietro's not playing? I think it was one year ago where Di Pietro played his last game. And, and you know, Darren said, it, look, here's where we are. Uh, it, it, you know, he's kind of stuck because, you know, it would help if the Canucks had a farm team nearby. And it wasn't in Utica. And then the two-week thing, I get that. But um, Darren alluded to me that uh, he has talked to Michael DiPietro, and Michael is very happy uh, with uh, the, the Ian Clark and working with him, and he thinks he's getting better every day. But I agree with Woodley. This is not a good situation. You're 21 years old. You're a goaltender. You need to play games. You don't need to be sitting there watching. You can practice till you're blue in the face, but the bottom line is you get better when the bullets are flying from an opposition team. And uh, But I, I just... I, I, the kid is working hard. He, uh, he right now, the, everybody's trying to see how they can get him some games, but it's really tough. But I give the kid credit. Attitude is everything. Attitude makes or breaks more hockey players than anything. And this kid's attitude has been absolutely 100% great. Well, your attitude's always uh, great on this program. We love to get you on, cover all sorts of Canuck topics. Uh, now, what's uh, I'm hearing rumblings. Uh, this sounds like it might be a big week for you, Dolly. Yeah, uh, Don Taylor and myself, uh, early this week, there could be some news. i got to zip the lip. Hey, and you guys know how hard that is. You? Hang on. You have to zip the <laughs> lip? Come on. <laughs> hey, and you guys know, nobody talks and, and more than I do. It's killing me, but uh, I'm thinking on Tuesday... Uh, we might have some good news, Donnie and I getting together for a possible venture. Uh, and uh, I'm going to have to wait. It's killing me. It's killing me. I'm telling you, I got to say, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, uh, every day I got to, I got to zip the lip. It's killing me. But Tuesday, wait till Tuesday. The one and only Rick Dollywell. Always good to get him here on the VanCast. All right, Tom, always uh, a ton of ground to cover with Dolly. And uh, we left no stone unturned there again inside a month now from the trade deadline. So, uh, should be interesting to see uh, a trade deadline like unlike anything that uh, any NHL GM has been through uh, with all the quarantine rules and everything else that uh, is going to be at play here. Yeah, and you know, I had I did a, one of those BCIT talks with uh, Brian Weeb uh, this week, and one of the students asked me a question that I hadn't really pondered, but but it was a good one, which was, "What to you will be a successful deadline from a Canucks perspective?" And 
I realized in answering the question that I didn't actually have the answer. Like, I think the Canucks should sell. I, I mean, I've made that abundantly clear. I think they need to be proactive in selling. But, you know, we're in a world where player movement is not exactly what it used to be, right? Like, there is not a ton of trades happening around the NHL uh, this season. Like, we saw Columbus and Toronto complete one this week. We saw Columbus and Winnipeg do one. Um, we've seen the Ottawa Senators do a couple with Stepan and, um, but I mean, realistically, like we have not seen much in the way of player movement since, you know, honestly, you, might, you probably have to go back to October. I mean, we are, we are in uncharted territory in terms of uh, deals. And so, you know, in, in some ways, what a successful deadline looks like from a Canucks perspective is, is a little bit conditional on, on what the overall league environment is, you know, if there's 30 deals done and the Canucks don't sell anyone, you know, I, I think we'll look at that and say, man, that's a missed opportunity. Another one, right? Like that'll be like Ham Hughes Verbata 2.0. But if there's seven trades and the Canucks can't monetize one of their vets, um, you know, I think we'll have to look at that differently. We'll have to be like, man, you know, you'd have liked to see them solve problems a little bit better, but what a crazy year. So, um, you know, I think that's useful context. Like, we'll see what the market looks like over the next three weeks. But clearly, to this juncture, things are constipated still. And whether or not that heats up, um, you know, we'll, we'll see. But I do think the Canucks are going to have to be graded on a curve based on the overall environment between now and April 12th. Yeah, April 12th, uh, that is the date, so circle it on your calendars inside a month as the Canucks embark on this four-game road trip. Uh, games in Ottawa, Monday, Wednesday, and then Friday, Saturday in Montreal before they race home to take on the Winnipeg Jets a week from today. Uh, all right, uh, again, we thank Rick Dollywall. Always fun to get uh, scoops on the program and a big week for him, so uh, make sure you got your ear to the ground there. I'm sure you'll hear details as they become available uh, for their answer. It's Jay Pat as always. Thanks so much for stopping by and giving us uh, a little bit of your time here. One of three VanCasts a week now, if you missed our announcement uh, a couple of weeks back. If you're looking for other pod options here under the athletic umbrella, Steve Levy of ESPN joins Scott Burnside and Pierre Lebrun on the two-man advantage edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. That's coming up Wednesday at The Athletic. Again, check out our comment section for every podcast episode of The Athletic app. Rate and subscribe to the VanCast on Apple. And if you're not already a subscriber, go to theathletic.com slash VanCast and receive a subscription for just $3.99 a month. On, enjoy the hockey games, the Canucks and the Sens, and the Canucks and the Habs will be back to do this again midweek for you as we carry on and cover this hockey club 25 games to go for the Vancouver Canucks. And uh, we've got you covered here on the VanCast and the Athletic and the Athletic.com.